Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I'm Matt Lees, joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt Lees. And we've also got, on the landline to another country, Canada land, we have Paul Dean. Hello. What's this podcast about, Matthew? It's about two men in England awkwardly uh, angling straddling. their legs, straddling a gigantic pile of board games so we can be close to a microphone without wobbling it. It's a bit like playing Jenga with your legs. Um, and I think it's it's probably good for your glutes. And uh, it's also about Paul Dean in Canada Land. Also, it's about board games and card games. And actually, in the second half of this podcast, we, as teased last time, are going to be talking about old stuff, uh, which means old. ancient board games, which are... Anything released before 2011, which is like where history began for us, uh, for basically, us, basically, yeah. So it's uh, B B. It's like BP, which is before pair, yes. Which basically yeah. anything before 2011 just goes in the same bucket of being like well old. Yeah, we discovered this. A game comes out in 2010, and then I will be like, when did that game come out? Like 1993. <laughs> and then the designer goes, no, what's the matter with you? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Magic the Gathering. We're going to be talking mm-hmm. about Blood Bowl. Oh my we're going to be talking God. about Space Hulk. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting because I don't think we can talk about any of those games without one of us breaking down and swearing. It's true. And actually, we might actually end up talking about Blood Bowl a little bit more on uh, Daft Souls, which is kind of a, a, another podcast that me and Quinns do. Because yes. frankly, we've been playing a lot more of the digital version of Blood Bowl. Yeah, there's and there's a lot a, to talk about. So, so yeah, I think I, I can see that fitting in a bit more there. But we're going to touch on it here today. Certainly. Uh, and then at the very tail end of the podcast, you can look forward to more folk games of the month. Uh, fabulous oh God, games that have passed. From what are those pesky teachers getting up to this time? Mother to daughter. Yes, uh, our current stripe of folk games is games you play at your work. And my God, people have been doing everything other than working, according to the emails that I receive. But in this podcast 53, we're going to start by asking Paul Dean what he's been playing. I have been playing recently, uh, I don't know if I can say this right, Samarkand, Samarkand, Samarkand. Samarkand? It makes me think of Zanarkand from Final Fantasy X, which is a fictional city. No, it's Uh, maybe an old... mm. This this is, it's about camels, it's called Samarkand Roots to Riches. I've been playing Santorini, which is about Greek gods making Greek buildings. King Dominoes, which is a name... Uh, and is it we, dominoes? Yeah, yeah, it's well. You know how I like t- tile laying games where you put things down, like yes, carcassonne. You, you're a fan of yes, carcassonne. And- Imagine if they were like a cross between tiles and dominoes. There okay. we go. Uh, and scythe, lots of scythe. Which- well, hey, as soon as you say that, scythe. the people listening to the podcast are going to go scythe the smash Kickstarter hit, uh, or maybe they won't know why they should potentially be excited. So, Paul. What is Scythe? It, it is a smash Kickstarter hit. It's one of those games that was a huge hit on Kickstarter. It is about uh, sort of mechs and peasants, basically. You have uh, some peasants in a sort of a proto-pseudo Eastern European setting, uh, and they need to do things like chop down trees or work in mines or, or get oil. And you use these resources to build mechs or to build, upgrade your infrastructure, build things like monuments and windmills with the ultimate objective of, it varies somewhat between each game, but generally you want to score points by beating up the other players, by controlling territory, by building all your mechs or all your buildings before other people, and just also by being popular, by being nice, by by pleasing the proletariat. Yes, uh, this is what throws people, because you see that big, um, what I believe uh, we call a coffin box, which is the Mm. giant long box, 
Um, and it's got a picture of a mech on the front and it's called Scythe and all that word association. Like I say, mech, Matthew, what do you say? Guns. There you go. But mm. it's not a war game. It's not a giant. Really, no. it, it looks like a big glossy piece of nonsense from the 80s, but actually it's an economic thing. Because right? we forget that actually scythes mostly used for like cutting down corn. Yeah, and these not days. Like, mm, cutting mine. people's heads off for metal album covers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've actually read up a bunch about Scythe and it sounds quite interesting, but also very video gamey. And the fact that it's like, sure, leave your man alone to go and dig some coal or farm some things. But then if one of the mechs from another player comes over, then hey, that little man is now theirs. And, and just spreading yourself thin and being like, are you going to use your military forces just to oversee your proles or are you going to go and try and bust stuff up? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Spreading all your people really out, trying heavy, to get though, like a lot of uh, the player sheets in front of people, like a lot of little cubes and things to shuffle around and stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, I, it 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 can take you a while to make a decision about a thing that you're going to do, but it's not as complicated as you might first think, and that's partly okay. aided by some good visual design, whereby you have all these components that are different shapes that mean that they can only fit in a certain space. And that's sort of the game's way of, of telling you this goes in here, this is for this. You pull this item out of this space on your player board, hey, it reveals something, it un- uncovers something else that reminds you now that you have a new resource or a new bonus. And it does have um, quite good... I mean, I'm talking about it like it's a video game again, but quite good interface design whereby it yeah. presents information to you fairly clearly. And there's, there is quite a bit going on, but it is not the toughest or the most complicated game to play. So I'm going to ask you to do something which I've struggled with, with everyone talking about Scythe and all the components and how it's got all these elements. There's some storytelling and some combat and some engine building. What do your decisions look like in a turn of Scythe? What are you thinking about? What are you ruminating over? You, or certainly when I play, you are thinking about what you can do now and what you can do next. Because you usually you have like... That four- does describe... <laughs> All games. board games that are not terrible. <laughs> Actually, that's rubbish. I'll elaborate on that. There are there are like basically four, usually I think four choices about what you can do, which is like harvest resources or move people around, um, or I've forgotten what the others are. But you take your uh, your playing token and you put it on one of those, which means you're doing that now, which means you can't do that next turn. So there's always an element of what is the most efficient thing for me to do right now? Like, should I harvest some resources right now? Or should I move all my units into different spots and then harvest resources next? Because uh, apart from, like, one particular player who has this ability, you cannot move... Uh, you can't just, like, move and move again or harvest and harvest again. You have to uh, do one of your particular things and then your choice is then what does that lead into next? What might I be doing in two or three turns time? At which point it becomes really hard to predict. But no, you're usually thinking about like what's going to make my economy work better next. Should I reposition people this turn and and upgrade resources next turn, or just do some digging? You know, get some wood. That's that's a lot of what it is. It's sort of thinking about build cues, I guess. And how much uh, interaction is there in terms of people throwing uh, spokes? It spanners into your spokes because I mean like uh, an interesting game we reviewed uh, on the site a little while ago Troy's Trois. Trois. 
Troys is how it's pronounced <laughs> yes, officially, correct. obviously. Troys. Uh, some people say Twa, but you know they're uh, wrong. The interesting thing about Troy's was the fact that he was you were planning ahead to try and to try and like uh, optimize what you were doing, but there was so much interaction. The fact that sometimes you felt like, well, I'll do this, I'll do this, and there was a lot of second guessing about what people were going to do on their turns in yeah. terms of you trying to protect what you had going on, and often it did boil down to being like having to be very specific of being like, what's the most important thing for me to do? Because if I don't do this now, then my chance might be evaded. Yeah, how much are you thinking about what other players are doing? That, I think, is it's pretty significant. definitely is for me to the point that is sometimes kind of paralyzing because you, you initially don't start this game with any mechs. Mechs are really sort of your, the backbone of your military force. You only get four at most. Um, and then you have your own individual character who moves around and can do a bit of fighting as well. But inevitably, you can't cover all your bases all the time. So you're constantly thinking about, do I want to rush somebody ahead now and try and claim a space so that I don't conflict with another player later? Can I trust this person on my border? Where are they going to move? What resources might they want to steal? Um, and there's always this... You, you can't be everywhere at once. So there's always this thing of being like... Um, and the game encourages you to kind of talk to other players and negotiate with them or maybe even like pay somebody some money to agree that they won't attack you, things like this. It's it's outside sort of the framework of the game, but it encourages you to talk to people because you're just going to have... There's very deliberately, I guess, there's not quite enough room on the board and you, you can't help but step on each other's toes or peer over the fence and go, I want that oil. You know, there's a... You know when um, uh, sort of like rabbits or something might hear a noise and become afraid that there's a predator and their ears will go up and they'll just freeze and you know that in that moment they're ready to react and run the hell away. That is how I feel when you describe a board game and I look at Scythe and I see like it's an economic game and it's a war game and you can negotiate and it's got those story cards. Uh, I think about in my limited experience within the board game industry, you know, games which try to do multiple genres and in a very ambitious pattern, I've never got along with. I'm thinking, you know, C4 was the most recent example of that. You know what? I mean, I'm going to do a video review of this, I think, um, probably a couple of weeks after this podcast goes up. And I'll look at a lot of this in detail. But all of these different, like the economics are definitely the most developed part of the game. Uh-huh. Combat is fairly straightforward. Uh, there are the random story events which are very, very, really quite quite basic. And it feels like these things sort of pad out the economic game more. But there there are elements of the game that are a lot more developed than others, I will well, say. This, this is the thing. Like, I'm, I'm just coming to you as a fan now, Paul. You've been hanging on to Scythe for a while. Prol Dean, friend. It's Prol Dean, Prol. I love you, Prol. Are you going to give a good review to Scythe, Prol? I haven't even made up my mind yet. I want to play it. I love this game, Paul. I need you to like it as well. Could you like this game? I I mean, a thing in my trailer. A thing I feel about this, and I'm in a weird position with Scythe. Don't ask why, but I'm in a weird position of of having read the manual, learned how to play it, and then actually have never played it, uh, which obviously is not ideal for having an opinion on something. But one of the things I notice (laughs) about But my opinion is. Well, no, no. One of the things I notice about about this sort of thing, and it's kind of a trend within games, uh, is. Yes, you have all of these different things. And, and as Paul said earlier, you have all these different uh, bars and, and tracking things. But as Paul said, it's not really too confusing or too much because you have all these nice different... Um, there's a lot of variety in terms of the tokens and shapes right. of things. To, Everything stands out. It everything, logs in your memory. As, as Paul really nailed it, it's got a very nice UI. 
Right. Now, the thing about this is, one of the advantages of board games is that they cannot usually do this. They cannot allow a slick UI to cover up too much fluff. And one of the things I feel... What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, like, you can have video games that have too many systems, uh, and they can have too many systems, and they can maybe hide some of them. Or maybe they can put them in different menus with different UIs and different things. Oh, I see. So but with board games, things. because you have to learn everything before you can even start playing. Well, it's the key thing we always talk about. The thing that makes games genuinely great, makes you know analog games genuinely great, is, is elegance. And it's the word we've used a tons of times, and it's because it's a really important one. Right. Is this, like, have you boiled this down to being the most simple it can be whilst also being the most powerful. And I feel like there's this interesting tendency, because video games are great, um, for people to make things slightly more complicated. So you get a feel that you're playing a board game that's kind of like a video game. Uh, and it's got all these complicated little things and all these things you can right. do. Right, because a video game but, can throw in mini games. It can throw in, oh, also you're running a shop while you're being an assassin in exactly. the 17th century. And I feel like with these massive, you know, these big budget boxes where, you know, it's kind of, rather than being like the early days of board games where it's like this cube represents a sheep, this cube in a different colour is still today, a man. man. And that's still today. But we now have enough money in the industry that you can have these slightly expensive big boxes things which have this flexibility. And I wonder if... It was a game where instead of having all these different types of wooden things that go on the different gaps, they were all just the same type of wooden block. Whether or not that would be a point where someone goes, this design feels muddy. And I feel, I just, I just think it's an interesting mm. thing. And I feel like I understand why people like this stuff, because there is something really comforting about video game formats uh, having a bit more complexity. But I sometimes wonder if it's a, it's not a problem, but I sometimes wonder if it's a gentle slide away from what makes board games different and exciting well it I is cannot, true oh, sorry no, Paul, go on, you go. no you go Paul I was going to say I cannot remember who said it which is really frustrating me now but there was a I think an RPG designer who was tweeting something la- at the end of last year talking about you don't need to add more things to your game often you need to take things out first oh my god I was reading this is slightly off topic and I'm hoping to cover it later in the year but I was reading the um, the rule set for Blades in the Dark Yes, which is one of several role-playing games that were announced recently um, to do with uh, heists, essentially. And uh, I, like I say, I want to cover it probably later. But my God, if the same day there wasn't a Kickstarter announced for another Ocean's Eleven, but in a fantasy world thing, and Blades in the Dark strips everything down to so few rules. Like uh, an example being, it's a game about teamwork, right? So the rule is that any time someone in your party would take damage, you can always take it instead of them if you just come up with why. Like, no one ever has to take damage in that game unless they're completely alone. It's like, that's a rule that is one sentence and transforms the entire game. Like, it was so beautiful compared to this uh, Kickstarter for another similar game that blew up and immediately just seemed so much fluffier. Like, it's like you say, we have the opportunity to print magnificent components and just a a huge variety of stuff. We can pay art designers to come up with unbelievably complex stuff. We can borrow systems from video games, but limitations breed, uh, you know, elegance. Like you Good say. UI is the answer to a problem. But then the question always is, does that problem need to exist? Mm. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think a lot of the time the answer is no. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, Paul has evaded our question of what he thinks of the You're going to play some more, you say? And then I'm excited for this video review because a lot of people are talking about this game. Like it's the- Yeah, they have for a while. Um, and I, w- I want to play some smaller games of it, actually, because usually I've been playing it with... With a bunch of people. And it plays up to six, right? I think. Yeah, oh, and we've tried an the expansion, which takes us up to, I think, up to seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, seven? I, in, I think that's, that's what a it long was. Day. But, yes. Yeah. 
So, um, but it kind of puts it into the same wheelhouse. I feel as like maybe the Game of Thrones board game of something you can play with tons of people that's going to get like quite big and quite. Mm, but the thing about Game of Thrones as a board game that I liked is that because it's a game that is entirely about your interactions with other players, it benefits from more players. Whereas, um, yeah, an economic yeah. game where people are very inward facing, like I immediately think about. Uh, all the UA Rosenberg games like um, um, I was just re-watching our Caverna review because I'm a narcissist Paul and one of the <laughs> one of the complaints I have is I had back then that I'd completely forgotten his Caverna ships with components for like six players and it's the most solitary game and it's like oh yeah all my friends will come over and we'll all take like play this game that takes six times as long as if we were playing it solo like it's insane it, yeah that's valid. I mean, you you know now that I'm a huge fan of A Feast for Odin and that cuts the player countdown a bit and is, I think one of the reasons it's a success and a successful evolution is because it actually becomes a bit less complex in certain ways. It has a lot of things in it, but a lot of them just sort of work the same kind of way and it's physically designed to be easier to understand and the things that you do on your, your turns when you play just take a bit less time. So, Four players having quicker turns for me, yeah, that's that's a, a an improvement over six players having slower turns. Well, I'm um, yeah, looking forward to hearing what you think about it once you've uh, yeah finished and chewing. I'm keen to play Scythe. I mean, Feast for Odin uh, since your video review. But um, I'm looking at your list of games. And mm-hmm. Very, I'm going to force you because I'm watching the clock here. Uh, is Samarkand something you enjoyed and would recommend people investigate? It's something I enjoyed, and I would definitely want to play again. Great, it's- we've closed that thread. So okay. now moving on to um, Santorini is something I've seen a lot of people talking about. Um, uh, what is Santorini? Santorini is actually, uh, it's a fairly straight, it's a very straightforward game of just trying to build a building that is a certain height. You've got a, you have all these very nice plastic bits of building. You put one on top of another. You have these two builders who, like, walk around the board and they can block your other player's two builders. Okay, I've just shown Matt a picture of Santorini, so he's on board. What do you think, Matt? I think it looks like uh, villas that have uh, blue Smarties for kind of uh, sky facing. Okay, I thought you were going to be like, ooh, that's a really interesting-looking board game. It's wonderfully knobbly. It looks very tactile. Uh, I feel like I could run my hand over it. You see the the island of of Santorini, this board? Yep. You see, it's actually elevated a couple of inches off the play mat there. Oh, I did not see that. That's, That's... It's very attractive. It's... But is it good? It's fine. Uh, it has a lot of it has a lot of plastic in it, and it certainly has. Um, it, it's a logic game where basically you you need to move your builders around and build things next to them. Uh, and if you are the person who completes a structure, if you put the very top level on a structure, well done, you are the winner. So How can you only build next to your little person? Uh, yes, and you also obviously you, you can move your little person on top of other buildings as they get bigger. They can climb them level by level, or they can jump all the way back down to ground level again. So it becomes. Yeah, so for about, those at home, it's like kind of little little cube based stacked buildings where each can have yeah. three layers. But then they actually it means that the you naturally end up having this stairs going up throughout the the. Uh, it almost does look like a level. I want to say level. It's almost like that. Uh, In a video it, game, yeah. It's kind of like a broken cuba level rather than being one set oh, of God. big steps. It's just bits and bobs. But it looks like you can then um, stand on top of a roof to prevent anyone else from getting planning permission to finish you a can. house. Which is, of course, what happens I mean, all the time in Greece. Um, uh, probably. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I never enjoyed that film. I always thought that it was a bit too... I'm not a fan of musicals. It is... Fair. I'm not a fan of Cuba, and I kept my mouth shut during that whole segment. <laughs> yeah, maybe we all just stop shaming each other. I would pay upwards of £50 to be able to do a really great Cubert impression. You know, when he makes that, like... You know. I would not pay that. It is a logic of guys focus. It's a logic. <laughs> it's basically you know like almost like drafts or something. You're moving around. You're planning ahead. You're trying to anticipate where you should put yourself to do a thing to stop the person doing the other thing, which uh, which is okay. It's not for me nearly as involving or complex enough. It does come with a whole deck of cards that are gods that have special powers. Okay, which spice up the game slightly because it can be like. This thing that you can't usually do, you you can now do that thing in the you know for this game because you are this god, uh, which is you can move in this way or you can build in this way. Or each one of them slightly modifies the rules, which gives it an amount of you know variety or replayability. I had but a it, f- sorry. No, you go, Paul. It's. I was just going to say it's that that's that's sort of all that there is to it. It's it's very well made. It has really nice production values and it has. A lot of these cards, a lot of options of ways to play it slightly differently. Which well, is I can okay. see it as a, a marketing tagline of uh, learn it in 30 seconds, play it for life, which kind of feels oh, like they're putting, they're putting it up there with chess or something, which is uh, ambitious. I've, there is definitely a thing mm. in board games where a certain abstract level of board games where if it is very simple and involves um, simple shapes and can qualify as an abstract board game. <clears throat> There's this idea that somehow it's more valid to play it forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is interesting, actually. It does it does kind of look like more of a, a, a kind of lighter family game. And yeah. you know what? Like, we, there was a thing really recently, a great article, well, quite recently, on the website written by uh, Pip talking to people bringing back older games. Oh, so the, yeah. the new company, Restoration Games. Yeah. And one of the great points that Pip made in that article was about, like, this sort of, like, this idea of actually bringing back games that were a bit disappointing, like bringing back things that didn't quite live up to what they could have been. And her example being Mousetrap, which I think is a great example of a game that that just doesn't live up to what you imagine it's going to be like. And it made me realise that mine was like a ghost house thing or something, but kids fundamentally love, like this this to me, I kind of look at it and go, "Uh, yeah, it's very grand, this kind of built-out 3D plastic thing. And that that doesn't excite me hugely, but kids love this stuff. And so if it's like a half-decent thing that's also like 3D and chunky and tactile, then yeah. So uh, speaking of chess and on the subject of kids, this Sunday I uh, (coughs) uh, went to see my sisters and um, I went to see my niece, um, one of my nieces, um, and she is 10, and she competes in chess competitions. Did you get ruined? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was obliterated. It was really funny. That's cool. So she brought her chess set and was like, do you want to play? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I would love to play chess with you. And um, tiny little travel chess set. And her moves were just so quick, and she shut me down. And it was check. Honestly, like I'm not, sh- I'm not shit at games. This has long been the whole purpose of me running shut up and sit down to prove that. Once chess and for is all. a different game, though. <laughs> it was checkmate in guess how many moves uh, of hers, not like both of us. Four. How do you checkmate someone in four moves? I don't know enough about chess to make guesses like. Can this. you? There's there's a way you can basically if someone opens up a certain pawn and their king is just sat there like a salmon. And you open up a certain pawn and pull a figure out. Yeah, I think in four moves each side you can checkmate. 
but well, that makes it's, Paul saving my ass. Thank you, Paul. I think it's well wow. enough known that like nobody would do it if they well, weren't brand new. If anyone was going to, it was me. But uh, <laughs> no, I was checkmated in something like 11 or 12 moves. Wow. Um, but what was interesting to her is I was saying, well, you know, I was talking about some of the variants of chess. <laughs> Making excuses. <laughs> well, this, this I is wanted one to, of the variants, I suppose. I wanted uh, to be beefy, and she, and she did. But I was talking about, um, like, Zach Gage put out a game called Really Bad Chess, which is essentially chess, but the pieces are randomized. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also Chesh yeah. uh, on the iPad and iOS yeah. devices, which I love, which is chess, but the, you have no idea what the pieces do till you move them. Yeah. Um, and you can't put them down once you pick them up. Yeah, so yeah. you have to sometimes take your own pieces. But I was talking to her about how the advantage of this is like, oh, well, then you have to adapt rather than just memorizing a lot of openings and just trying to get that like rudimentary game design 101 of like, yes. adapting is better than just memorizing before the game begins. Yes. And she was having none of it. Um, as someone yeah. who was like competing in national champions in the UK, she just didn't understand what uh, I was saying. Chess is an interesting game for that. Yeah. And then I, uh, the po- a poker set came out, and with her and her sister and some of my friends, I was like, "Oh, we'll play poker." And she was all like, "Oh, there's no strategy in poker; it's all luck." And nope. I beat her at <laughs> poker, um, but it was good because you could just see the cogs turning at the end of that game, and she was it, like starting to realize why it was a game. It is interesting, and I mean, like, actually, it's funny. Um, uh, a game that we'll talk about a bit later that, that I found Blood Bowl strangely similar to chess in some ways. Well, hey, mm. uh, we, should we begin our saga? Yeah, mm. I, I mean, I'm going to make you make a. We'll probably skip this. some of the games that we said Paul would talk about, but we can come back to them at another time. Time waits for I've, no Paul. I've got a box load of stuff we can talk about on many podcasts. It's fine. Cool. I'm going to make you do a sting for this bit, Matt. Uh, you don't know this, but oh, I'm going to make what? you do a sting. That's and like have to... Matt and Quinn's go into the past. Okay. It's just fine, I'll just put a mark there. That's, That's where your sting will go. Wow, that was an amazing sting that I haven't made yet. Um, but I thought it was really evocative of the feature that we're now going to do. Well, I thought it was grandiose. And don't, I don't really like what you did words. with the chorus. Please, yeah. Jesus, no. Uh, no you can't do this to me. <laughs> I've got to make it like first thing in the morning. Were you playing the, the, you the sitar yourself? No, I wasn't playing a sitar. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so uh, where to begin? Matt and I played some Space Hulk over Christmas. We did. And that's what started out this whole damn mess. So uh, you may be wondering how I got got here. here. Um, (laughs) How I got to playing Space Hulk with Matt was that um, the Games Workshop rep emailed and um, uh, said, do you want a copy of Space Hulk? And I said, well, you can send us a copy if you're sure you'll have stock. And then he didn't really know. And then I made fun of him in the news and he read the game's news and then he sent us a copy being like, ha, 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 you know, I saw you making fun of me. Anyway, then Matt and I played Space Hulk and it sold out, so now we can't review it. Um, and no one benefited from that exchange, except for me, because, Paul, this 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 line is mm-hmm. going out straight to you. You mm-hmm. listen, Paul. Oh, yeah, probably. Paul, I've been playing games with Matt for about three or four years, <laughs> and I've, I've never seen him get as angry as he did we, we when we were playing Space Hulk. You talked talk about this. Oh, did we talk briefly. about this on a podcast before? Only, no, only like just on a phone call or in chat or something. We were just talking about how how Matt stopped went talking off about the rails. Me getting angry. He did went, he go went, off the rails? Did he, he go choo 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 crash? I'll, t- I'll tell I got you what he did. I'm angry about bloody dark stories last time as well. I'm turning into an anger machine. I'll tell you what he did, Paul. It was time for him to take his go, and he did that thing which I've done many times. <laughs> of before you take your go, you announce to the table. Now the problem with this game. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been there, man. And to be fair, here's the thing. 
Um, if people aren't aware, like Space Hulk, uh, old Games Workshop classic, they reprint it infrequently for weird reasons and only yeah. in very small numbers, partially, I think, because it's the cheapest way to get Space Marines and Tyranids. Um, it's a game where one of you plays uh, Space Marines going into a ship. They take their turns against the clock. And the other player is... It's essentially Aliens, the the board game, right? Yes. Another person is Aliens coming out of the walls mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to kill uh, men with guns. So, yes, asymmetric, turn-based. Obviously, turn-based. Jesus, not a video. Anyway, uh, <laughs> basically, what was fascinating for me about Space Hulk is I got really psyched about it. I was like, I remember having Space Hulk as a kid. Yeah. I remember playing with my brother. And then I was like, oh, yeah, Space Hulk, brilliant. Um and you were you were very excited when I you started playing. I was really excited. I mean, first of all, it took about two hours for me to sit and like take all the the men out of the spruces. Oh, uh, spruce. Um, spruces, spruces, like a different thing. Um, to, to assemble the pieces so we could play and pop everything out. Um, but what was really interesting for me is the fact that I, I kind of had this memory of owning Space Hulk, my brother, thinking it was really cool because I mean, goddamn, like Tyranids. Like ice corridors, cold. Uh, like, chain guns, flamethrowers, like the Terminators, ice cold. Like it, it's the setting. Like it's yeah. just unbelievably cool, especially if you're a kid. Come on, let's not mess about. But <laughs> the thing is, I kind of thought. But I remember we owned it, but we didn't play it that much. Like we had it every now and then, we crack out. That's but interesting. We didn't play it that much. Why do you think that? But you couldn't remember why that I is. I couldn't remember why. And then uh, an hour into playing with Quins, I suddenly started to find it as a game very. Frustrating. <laughs> Why is the that, sound Matthew? of Matt pressing the key on my keyboard to bleep that? To bleep that out. I, I, well, I mean, this is the thing, and this is what's interesting is now. Um and now I feel like I've got a better grasp on why. Well, but at the time, I was like, oh my God, is this me just like... Well, no, it's like what you talked about last podcast where you were saying um, that you play something as an adult and you're like, oh, well, now as an adult, I'll be able to play this game properly. And that's when you discover that you weren't playing it incorrectly as a kid, that it's not a perfect game. No, yeah. But also it's like, is this just bringing back some weird childhood trauma? Like, do I hate that, like, not like this game because because actually, like, it's, it's pulling up some sort of eight-year-old bitterness or something? Like... But I've had time to think about it, and actually it's been interesting in the fact the other games we've played, like I've played a lot of Blood Bowl, we've played some Magic the Gathering, have helped me understand a bit more why um, I do find it really frustrating. And I mean, I think actually some interesting things, a theme across these, these games from these era, this era, a couple of things. Um, there's games being asymmetrical, right? That can be really fun. But when you have this combination of a game being asymmetrical, um, but also very much... I mean, there's one word for these games, really. A game, a word that kind of hinges together how these games function. And that word is, is bull****. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like you're rolling dice all the time. You are... Yes. You know, you're hoping for sixes. Well, an interesting thing uh, that my friend uh, and writer, uh, Dan Griliopoulos, mentioned to me, um, he works in video games, and he said that when they did a video game adaptation of Space Hulk, um, <clears throat> where you played against the AI, uh, the, the game didn't actually work and wasn't at all fun. Because once you have an AI playing perfectly, or to toot my own, uh, you know, Storm Bolter, when you're playing against me playing the Gene Stealers, there are no mistakes. And once there are no mistakes in Space Hulk, then the game, like, snaps like a twig. Like, yeah. Because there's, there's, uh, the players don't have flexibility. It's, it's literally you're trapped in corridors. And if one player puts you in a situation and doesn't make any mistakes, then there is nothing you can do. And it's got this weird slowness to it that you feel like you make a bad decision. And because you're in corridors, you, you just like, you realize you made a bad call like two turns ago, but then you realize there's nothing you could really do about it now. And yeah. it's just a kind of slow decline. But what's, I think, the crucial thing about it, though, and this is really important, this is where I found Blood Bowl to be way more enjoyable is the fact that 
what you get in Blood Bowl that you don't get in Space Hulk. Well, is... uh, we, can, before we move on to Blood Bowl, which we should, yeah, I will just say one thing about Space Hulk that I did find quite interesting. Um, not necessarily good, but something um, uh, mechanically cute, is that all the missions uh, have win conditions worth playing. Gene Steelers win if they kill all the Space Marines. Uh, Space Marines win if they seal all the doors. But um, that is very different from your like loss condition. So essentially you can play for a draw. So maybe you fail to kill all the doors, but that's fine because as long as you don't fully die, then yeah, the Gene win. Yeah, it's a draw. So there's a bizarre mechanic that reminds me of Archipelago where it's like, are you playing to win or are you playing to not lose? Yeah. And players have to decide for themselves like when their strategy pivots of like, we can do this, we can do, we can probably do this, we probably can't do, okay, stop, stop, bail, just but fight to retreat. But I found you know what it's it i played a bit of space hulk a long time ago when i was young because it's been like perennially re-released yeah and it's always been exciting it's kind of as exciting a proposition today as it was in i mean as you say it's aliens like on steroids the game yeah like and that's cool well you mentioned that and the, the the space hulk that i'm remembering was about uh you track blips moving around and some of the blips are aliens and some of them aren't and it's like the way that the alien player is bluffing. And I seem to remember there being like a mission book with different layouts of possible ships that you go into. And yes. that's the the game that I'm remembering is not just this. They kind of tweak that now as well. The other player. I thought the there's most... supposed to be more bluffing and more like different well, mission there is objectives. To an extent, yeah. Curiously, one thing they've removed is um, uh, maybe the coolest mechanic in it. Um, that there's no reason why you'd know this, people at home, is that. Um, if the Terminators don't have line of sight to uh, the monsters, they have blips, and blips move around the board or the corridors, and the blips function like the blips in Aliens, where you can see movement, but you don't know what that movement is. It could be... I think in the original game, I could be wrong, but it's like it could be zero Gene Steelers or it could be six. Yeah, um, yeah that's what I remember, yeah. Yeah, and so... But in the newest version uh, that Games Workshop released, it's only ever one, two, or three, which is very oh, curious. Yeah. So it, there's never a case of like, what is it around the corner? Oh, it's nothing. Which That's a I, significant change for me. It I is. Think that was that my favourite thing the about the best thing in it. Yeah, yeah, I thought so as well. Um, but maybe, I mean, this is the interesting thing, and this is why I found the problem with this, like this, this expanse of them. Because honestly, like in each mission, the kind of window where it's a draw is quite wide, and I think that is an attempt to put a plaster over the fact that it's bullshit. It doesn't work. Yeah, like, and that's fine, but <laughs> it's like it doesn't change it. I agree. And um, I mean, this is the thing: is what I found interesting is the fact that, like, again, I think the most astute uh simple thing in the conversations we've had about these games uh was was the fact that we've been playing a video game version of blood bowl um okay so we talk about blood bowl now well i think the two intertwine to me i I, I don't huge similarity i don't disagree but we should just start by describing what blood bowl is blood bowl is uh, (laughs) using a traditional warhammer setting but basically it's really dumb it's like fancy warhammer but the armies instead of fighting each other are basically playing american football but there's a massive emphasis on violence and some of the teams just do violence mainly and some of the teams are good at playing football but a lot of them just go well we'll try and like get a touchdown maybe at some point but really we're just going to try and kill these guys yeah so we had a review of this on shutupsitdown.com that people should definitely check out by our yeah. expert Eric Tonyes um uh Full-time priest, part-time awesome, part-time Shut Up and Sit Down miniatures expert. But he reviewed Blood Bowl in the context of Guild Ball, yeah. which is the new... Um, uh, that was my phone. Uh, the kind of trying to make a very complex, nuanced, clever sports game. And it contrasted with Blood Bowl being still the new release from Games Workshop is just from the 80s and... Dumb, simple. Well, this is the thing, man. It's not... 
it's yes, it's dumb, but it's not stupid. No, it's not. But the interesting thing about it is that, um, and actually, like you know, screw the midsection surprise turnaround here. I'm just gonna just just lay this out straight away. We've been playing the video game version of this. I learned to play the video game version of this from the board game rules um, yeah. because the tutorials in the game version are so terrible. Yeah. But, but yes. this is a game that I am enjoying quite a lot on the computer. Yes. I would never play it on the tabletop. Me either. Because it is uh, overly complex. It has way too many dice rolls. And also it's a game which is really only enjoyable in a campaign setting, I think. Also, and the yeah. idea of playing this for like... I mean, it's, it's too long for me. Like, you're going to be three hours every game. Hey, man, here's a really dark uh, proposition, which slightly invalidates Shut Up and Sit Down's existence. The reason <laughs> the Blood Bowl uh, video game adaptation is so good, Blood Bowl 2, is mm-hmm. because it was, you know, a proper developer pouring God knows how much money, years of work. I wonder how many board games we wouldn't play if there was that much money poured into a video game adaptation of them. Because the other board game adaptations are all just tiny, shonky things made by, like, two, three people. Maybe. I mean, month. it's still made by Cyanide, who are kind of wonky. At but still, best. it's years of work from Cyanide. It's true. It's very pretty, but it's still... But anyway, the thing is, is, like, it, it takes away a lot of the dice rolls, and God, there are a lot of dice rolls. But the thing is, it's still, fundamentally, just like Space Hulk, it's just constant bull. And, <laughs> um, but the difference is, and this is crucial, is when you are a Tyranid running down a corridor at me, and I'm desperately rolling like handfuls of dice trying to get a six and just can't get a six and this is like come on this is ridiculous um you know uh, you know the same space hulk matt played and you go oh this is bad for you but you can't help but feel gleeful but then because you're making different roles for your stuff we don't get that shared thing well the thing that's lovely about blood bowl is both players are restricted different teams have different advantages but both players are restricted to the same nonsense which means you will get really lucky with something that you know you shouldn't have and the other player will go oh you get and you'll go yeah yeah yeah." but then at the same time someone will fluff a roll and you go you can share the experience of that ball. Can I say something? Yeah, it's it's happening much more to both of you. What Quinns? What say? Speak. Blood ball. <laughs> and that's the second thing. And the astute, simple thing you said is that these games are not fun when you're losing. Uh, yes, which is always my test. Which for... is a, not a good game design. Well, I, well it's a, they can't. Oh, sorry, Paul. Please. The the thing I would say about that is, I, I don't remember enough of Space Hulk, but with the Blood Bowl that we've been playing, we. Oh, I forgot you're in our, you're in our league as He's well. He's there as well. I played him the other day. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you don't have catch-up mechanics. So I feel like you start on a seesaw and one player goes up and one player goes down. It's like, oh, well, I injured a couple of your team members and they can't be replaced, so they're just gone. So well, you know that thing that I did that is helping me win? Now I'm winning more. Now I'm winning more because I was winning more. But the thing, like, no, but it's not even that, sort? man, because the money you get after a match, which you can spend on new players, cheerleaders, oh, re-rolls... Really you angry. All the vi- <laughs> this is the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. So <laughs> you finish a match, and then how much money do you get? Ask a game designer. A game designer will tell you, oh, well, did you win or you lose? I know, I know what you're going to say. But no, but it's a, it's a D6. You roll a six, you get uh, it's a D6 60, plus something else. Thousand, yeah, plus your fame, right? Yeah. But at the start of the at the start of the league, it could well be the case. It's like you roll. You, if you win, I think you roll two dice, so you get a reroll. No, you get a one reroll. So let's say you you I beat you in in the first round. Uh huh. Not that I beat anyone at Blood Bowl yet, because the game sucks. <laughs> but uh, but you know you lost. You roll and you roll a six. It's like oh, you get sixty thousand dollars. First game, I roll two dice and I, or like, I'm sorry, I roll a dice, I get a three. I'm like, oh, I'll re roll that, I get a one. You're walking away with scads more cash than mm-hmm. me, even though I won. And it's like, but, but why did we just play two hours of game? 
Well, I think the thing is, and I don't know, because I think I feel like you went into this uh, this tournament a little bit like um, fresher than everyone else. Like you, you literally learned to play it and then went straight in. Whereas I played quite a bit of it before I got into it. And what I realized about it, and this is what I think is, is, is okay about it, is it actually is quite like chess in the fact that it's just a... It is constantly just looking at the current shape of the board yes. and doing things in a very specific um, order, which yes. limits which limits uh, potential risk. But then you come to points where, um, and there's also like a lot to do with the structuring of where you put men. And the funny thing is, like I've played two games and I've won two. And uh, no offense mm. to one of the people I've played, who is literally on this call. Um, <laughs> but like you do, sit back and you watch people make bad decisions. You think yeah. you should have put that man there before you tackled that guy, because yeah. then it would have vastly improved your chances of tackling him successfully. And there is a not a vastly complex system, but there is a fairly complex system of making simple choices that change the dice rolls. I agree, one hundred percent. I, I could not agree with you more. Though, but then it will still just screw you on a desk. I mean, there's a reason. really interesting game of placing people, of uh, and the mechanic in it that uh, people at home should know about that's really great is that um, uh, when it's your turn, you can activate everyone on your team. However, doing most things, like running extra far, picking up the ball, throwing the ball, blocking someone, requires a dice roll. If you fail that roll, play goes to the other person. So you've got the bizarre thing of wanting to do all the risky stuff last. Mm-hmm. However, then what do you do if like you want to grab the ball, pass it, and then do a handoff and then throw Even it? Even less extreme than that. Like the thing I find and actually whilst I don't love this game, I find it f- fun to play and chat on, on Skype or Discord and just basically chat nonsense, but you have these moments. And it's funny, it's actually I'm not into watching sports, but I find Blood Bowl and I think that uh, Eric's review in a very brief paragraph where he summed it up perfectly which just saying listen you know it is basically it. like people say oh it's, it's it's chips and beer and it is but what I love about it is it's passive you don't really think about it but then you have like maybe two or three points in the whole two hours where it's suddenly for both players gets really intense and it's I a love very intense the excitement thing. of that and the difficulty is is you have this situation where you're not even just like oh, I want to do advanced stuff in this turn you have things where you think this will probably be fine but do I do all of these very, very low-risk things first yeah. and risk a tiny chance of it going wrong and then not being able to do this thing that's vital? Or do you just do the vital thing first but then risk losing the rest of your turn? I, I kind of agree with Kieran Gillen uh, that it is... Uh, who, who's in our league as well? Yeah. Games critic and comics writer Kieran Gillen saying that it is the smartest piece of game design that Games Workshop ever did. Um, not to say it's without problem. It's not saying a huge amount. Really. No. <laughs> um, no. But... Uh, but within that, um, I think it's bullshit. I think it's dumb. Uh, so I think but it's wait, uh, but Paul, Paul, what do you think about it? I am on the fence because that I I'm pushing you off the fence. Which side do you land on? Is it good or oh, bad? I don't know. I guess I'm landing more on the side of uh, respecting it than not because the tactical side of it, like, it, you know what? It reminds me most of all of something like Memoir 44, which so much relies on die rolls and cards and you draw yes. some cards and it's like I can't move anybody on the left flank I haven't been able to move anybody on the left flank for four turns and it's just like that's that's what, what has happened is one of the greatest board games ever designed though you've really angered Quinns he's steaming out of his ears hey, I thought people did that in cartoons similar, but he's people like haven't randomness seen and it. you're trying to mitigate the randomness as best you can I tell you what actually the one thing for me that again makes me think I'd never play the board game version but the video game version like it is the very strict times turn limits I love that because basically it's oh, like yeah. it's a game where it's like you're constantly 
just trying to mitigate risks, trying to do things in the safest order whilst making on the fly very difficult decisions and you've got no time. And it means, I, I think as that, like even though the rest of the design is pure games workshop, i.e. overwrought, silly, too many dice, Jesus sort it out, that basic idea of like snap decisions fast and you're on the clock, it, yeah. it leads to silliness. It leads to dumb decisions. And even though I'm starting to get okay at it, and this is why I say it's like chess and this you is the, the problem with it. Yet. I know, but this is the problem. This is why it's like chess and that's why it's a problem is I'm still having to process these turns. Whereas I know as soon as I play Kieran or someone who's played this for years, it's like chess and the fact that you just look at it and you know what to do. It's, it's like you don't have to process it. It's like you just go, that guy goes there, that goes there. And it becomes automatic, automatic because it is, rather than being wholly reactive, it is just using a code. I mean, so and it, I agree with Richard Garfield um, in his big talk he did on randomness that I've mentioned uh, on Shut Up and Sit Down a couple of times that the advantage of randomness is it leads to interesting play states. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. game I played with Kieran, um, there was an insane thing where we got rain. And this is actually the main thing that made me inf- infuriated because <laughs> rain lowers everyone's agility one for the um, uh, percentage chance of picking up the ball. Because people at home, you don't pick up the picking ball. Picking up the ball is really hard. Picking up the ball <laughs> is one of the hardest things in Blood Bowl. Uh, Last time so, I played ball, I spent two turns trying to pick up the ball. That's great, re-rolls. man. I d- yeah, with you. But the, but the, we had this insane thing where um, because picking up the ball was hard, we we would have we'd be like, oh well, I'll pick up the ball and run up, and then we would do our like, entire play site like that. But then when we failed to pick up the ball, suddenly we're playing an insane game where we had absolutely no sportsmen around the ball, sportsmen, sports people, ballers. What the hell do you call them? <laughs> uh, but here's the thing, here's my my main thing about Blood Bowl is as to whether it's a good game or not. I will ask but you both, would you be playing this game if it didn't have the league functionality and the persistence of... No. Right, so therefore it's not a good game. It's not good enough. We play, <laughs> we play other games because they are intrinsically great, but we're playing Blood Bowl because it's got this wonderful thing, which I think would improve any game of we're in a league, we're in a persistent story, we're getting... Every death is like... I don't think that's entirely fair because I think that whilst you do have the risk of death and the risk of injury coming down to luck, you also have ways to mitigate that. And I think that that's... I think that that is an... In, it's rather than being like, hey, it's fun because we're playing in a league or hey, it's fun because it's multiplayer, which is the thing that video games always do. I yeah. think it is an integral part of the design. I think it's more that like, there's no point playing it outside the league because the league is an integral part. And the thing is like, listen, I mean, I don't want to be a complete dick about this, but I've won two games and no one on my team has died. It will happen. But I like to think that one of the reasons it's happened is because I have been mitigating risk as as best as I can. How many? You know there's a chance of death like every time someone gets- Of course there is, but you can mitigate, and it's, it's a case of mitigating the risk. And it's the difference between leaving one guy on your own next to two other dudes or... Losing a man that you I find feel useful like and keeping two men next to Someone cut the brakes in my car and I crashed my car and you've pulled up behind me and gone, <laughs> man, let me tell you about this. It's about mitigating risk. <laughs> but no, but this, you're right. And that's why I think I don't mind Blood Bowl as much because at least when you absolutely get ruined by dice rolls, we can both go, oh man, that's rough. Whereas in an asymmetric game, yes, that's it's a good just point. like, pff, you can't share that thing. And that brings us on a little bit, I feel, to like, Magic the Gathering. Yeah! Having these, these different... No. This lack of asymmetry... Here we go! ...means that, like, when I've been playing this game, you kind of feel like you might be ruining someone else, but... I mean, I mean I'll mean, i start Paul, Paul, this is just between you and me, but yeah, I've been playing go. Magic the Gathering with Matt. No, that was a callback to... Matt has been getting quite angry in our mini Magic the Gathering League as well, but yes, after five years of running Shut Up and Sit Down, we're reviewing the biggest and most famous card game of all time, Magic oh. the Gathering. Oh... 
It's interesting. It's it's okay. It's, it's well, fine. It's, it's okay at best. It. <laughs> it's um, okay at best. To be honest, I mean, we had a great time the first night. I mean, I've had fun with it, um, and I say that as somebody who has lost two out of nine games. Um, <laughs> no, so sorry, has won two out of nine games. No, that's it. Yeah, I've won. <laughs> two, let's be positive. It's not. It's not like glasses, and also it's just different facts, alternative. I mean, but this facts. this is also but, proving our point that like I have a problem with Blood Bowl, and I haven't won it, and, and you're struggling with Magic, and, but through no fault of your own. Probably. Yeah, no. I mean, this is the thing is I've been really trying to have fun with it despite losing all the time, and actually but, for a long time that's been fine. But this absolutely proves my point that the difference between a good game and a bad game is a good game is one where you have no problem losing. Yeah, this is true. Um, and actually, I didn't have a problem losing initially um, because it was like I threw a deck together, you threw a deck together, you threw a deck together with a system which had a lot more synergy naturally. Well, do you want to talk about... Um, so the reason we're playing Magic is uh, we found a format that I think is awesome and so much more interesting than uh, than I think people assume Magic is. People assume mm-hmm. that Magic is, oh, I have to spend £400 on cards and assemble a competitive deck and go to a tournament. No, you can do something called Sealed. Yeah, which is like already something that we've discovered is just everyone who has ever been a Magic nerd or no Magic nerds goes, well, yeah, of course. Um, but to but us, we're like, okay, this is, this is a new idea. And the idea is simply, rather than getting into the whole shebang of building a whopping 60 card deck of things out of everything that's currently available in the, the sets that you're yeah, legal or whatever. Blocks, I think. Or you can play Legacy, which is like any card ever, <laughs> but no, if, forget that, unless you know what... No. Um, sealed basically oh, is... Oh, did you see the news article that... Um, uh, what that, that... Oh, the t- who is a pharmaceutical... T- Paul will know his name. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, Shrekley. Uh, Shrekley, yes. Oh. I was, re- was recently on Reddit saying, what shall I well, start not collecting not very Shrek-like, frankly. Um, and then Reddit said, you should collect Magic the Gathering, so maybe yeah. he'll play Legacy. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Um, but Sealed? Sealed basically means that you, you get as many land cards as you want, which is like the form of mana in the game, which is, it's, I mean... I'm What's not, mana? I mean, there's no point, like, <laughs> ragging on the land system. It's just, it's just bad. Um, it's, it's like, to, to <laughs> sit here and go, oh, the land card system, mana system in Magic the Gathering would be like doing a stand-up set about airplane food. It's just, everybody kind of admits that it's, at best, not great. Um, but mana means you can summon things in. It's a card game. It's a deck builder. Anyway, sealed means that you get six little sealed packs. Oh, five, I think, five. maybe. I don't know. Or maybe six. You get a certain number of sealed cards, which means you're going to get packs, yeah. uh, combinations of stuff from the latest set of cards, and then you have to just build a deck with what you've got. Yes, so it's this thing of you don't you walk into playing Magic, and rather than needing to know everything about the set, you just need to know your cards. You open six boosters, you look at them, and it's what deck can you make with this. And what I yes. find so exciting about it is, like, we're playing the Kaladesh block, um, which is like 270 cards set in a magical city. Um, and But out of those 270 cards, we will have maybe... 75 individual cards? Yeah. So everyone's yeah, around, collection is yeah. radically different. Everyone's collection is different. And um, initially, like you, I was excited about this. And it was <laughs> it was fun that we basically, you know, we, we opened it up. The process of opening up was fun. I must admit, I really love what they've done with the latest, like, set. And this has well, been going on for ages. This is the astonishing thing about Magic, is that you and I were laughing at, like, how awkward the land system is of sometimes lands. Lands are essentially a system that means sometimes your games will be bad. 
uh, because you might draw too many or not enough lands. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way around that because it's the entire base. I mean, that's it. It's, it's, an, it's an uninteresting decision. We were also laughing at the back of the cards, which, of course, because of the legacy format, haven't changed since like 1991. Oh my God, it's the yeah, yeah, worst out. art design I've seen in a long time. But um, the card art they're commissioning now and the design they're doing now, it's like because they've got so many designers and so much money, it's like watching a team, like a troupe of the world's best dancers, these game designers, but they have to perform in a tiny box in an airplane <laughs> toilet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. By the way, I just want to point out, so far all I'm hearing was it was fun opening it up and looking at it. It was great fun opening it up, man. And so here's the thing. You can play Sealed and you can have the joy of opening up cards with your friends for like 20 quid. It's about 20 quid to buy all the boosters. Mm. That's great. You open up mm. the cards. That's a great evening. Gwen's has been really enthusiastic about this whole process so far. I can't see um, what your problem is. Um, and, uh, and actually, initially I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. And I love a lot of the ideas, um, but... And I have some very major butts, and those butts have uh, have grown with size dramatically as a, as the. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. Well, yeah, you'll like this then. I mean, really, the interesting thing about sealed, really, and what it does boil down to, is um, sealed means you're playing a light version of the game, mm-hmm. right? Which means that you're not getting bogged down with the idea of having to keep buying tons of cards to get that ideal deck, because you're protected from the reality of that, because everyone else is also working with what they've got. Absolutely. But, and this is a crucial thing, you're protected from the ills of the wider game, um, but you can't hide from them. And the interesting thing is you still, <laughs> you still hit the same problem with the game, is that you want better cards than the ones you've got, but the difference is you can't have them. Because normally you just be like, well, I'll buy more. But with Sealed, there's a restriction in place, which is awesome, which stops you from getting more, which is fine. But the, the issue with this is you still can't get away from the fact that um, your cards just might not be very good. And the thing is, because of the business model of the game, there are cards which are not as good. I mean... Yes. And this is the difference for me. I've been playing, like, other, you know, modern things. I play a ton of Duelist. Um, Duelist, uh, we've talked a lot about on Matt and We on have. Ghosts. We've talked about that. We actually got a video on Duelist, and I think... When people talk about um, uh, you know card games and visual video game adaptations of card games, I always point them to our Duelist video. Yes. So if you search yes. for Cool Ghosts and Duelist, but Duelist has a Y instead of an I, so it's Duelist, uh, you'll find uh, my Matt's video and uh, talking about why it's such a great card game. Exactly. So I play tons of that. I'm still a fan. Um, but the thing is, yeah, with this is it's like what was interesting for me was I was like first few games I was like ha I threw something together. Hmm, not very good. You'd thrown something together in a way that made more sense. You'd just look for some buzzwords that matched and just yes. gone, that looks like synergy to me. Whacked them in a deck, boom, you were gone. Yep. So then I went away and I looked through everything I had and I just, I really sharpened something up and thought, okay, this to me feels like the best like stab at synergy I've got. And it was still really bad. And I played and lost and lost and lost. And, and the only time I won a game was against somebody who really was, didn't have a clue what they were doing and was learning. And the next time I played them, I think they beat me because it's just this thing of going, okay, and I'm going to go back again and look again because we're playing again this Thursday. But it's interesting to me that it's like, it's, it's trying. And I'm sure if I was a really skilled player, I would be able to go through this and devise something quite complex and clever I could do yes. with it. But what I found stunning was playing against other people um, in our group, we've done the same thing of just opening random stuff and just being like, these decks are better. Because I've got people doing, trying to do exactly the same thing as me and just being able to do it like backflips I think better. the idea of Sealed is so exciting to me. And it I is. think I like the concept of it. I love the idea that uh, a card game made by some of the best designers or like certainly most well-paid uh, analog game designers in the world, like they will come up with a new idea, they'll release a new magic block every month, you pay 20 quid and you have a mini tournament and your friends 
with new cards. None of you have seen the cards before. That's so exciting to me. Yeah. Um, but yes, in the reality of it, it isn't quite as... In the good. reality, you drill back down to a business model, which is intent on people being like, these cards aren't so good, buy some more. And I mean, like some of the cards I saw popped out into the table were just shocking. It was like, that can't be right. You know? Wow. And that, I mean, again, coming from playing a game like Duelist, which is like, sure, you've got some cards that are better than others. And there are some cards that are rarer than others. And But but they, there is still an effort to try and balance stuff. I mean, it's... it's Whereas I, like some of this stuff, I'm just like, that can't be right. You have so to look up the rules four times. Because you you're like, you're that's insane. You're just not escaping that at all? Well, it really depends. To I some mean, extent. I'm ex- well, I'm escaping it better than Matt, but that's just because I got better cards. Hmm. Um, I still think that out of our friend group, Matt got the least lucky with cards and is enjoying it the least. So as far as the Shut Up and Sit Down recommends go... We can recommend Magic Sealed, you know, because there's a one in six chance you'll enjoy yourself. (laughs) Well, this is the interesting thing is it's like, you know what? If you get into a habit, right, where where you do this frequently and you get into like every new every new set you all do this then that just becomes part of the, the weird meta I with mean, your friends well, like, this you is, drew badly this time well what like. I find interesting is that um, it just and this is the last thing I'll say about it it's just the idea of a contained meta um, because containing a meta yeah. for like one of Fantasy Flight's excellent living card games like the Game of Thrones game which is pretty great uh, Netrunner which is excellent um, it, it feels artificial it feels difficult and you all have to buy the same sets but with Magic you can all buy boosters and that is very exciting you can yeah. buy a booster once a month you can uh, like if we did another sealed thing with the next block when it, which just came out recently actually um, then we could combine we could, we could play a mini tournament with that but then we could combine our six yeah, boosters with other boosters two blocks that run next to each other it used to be three but now it's two run kind of in symmetry so you can combine stuff the, the interesting thing though with that is it's like it's, it's exciting to us because it's something that's been in our blind spot for a long time and I think increasingly for good reasons if I'm being honest um, I, I, I also feel feel like the interesting thing talking about this online is i've had so many people say to me yeah but like the good seasons was such a long time ago and i feel that's oh, the really? interesting thing yeah i've had lots of people saying like i don't this- trust nostalgia as a rule well no i think it's yeah. more that people saying that the mechanics that were being used and stuff because there is this tendency to keep it fresh and keep moving and keep doing new things that can mean leaving really good stuff behind and increasingly even though we said earlier Duelist I love it you know the third expansion came out recently and there's some stuff in that, that I'm just like Ugh. and you can see it it's like if you have this model whereby you need to keep freshing it yes. up I mean, this you was, can lose stuff I don't play Netrunner yes. anymore because it lost some of the uh, central fundaments to the game because fundamentally releasing new cards in a game which is supposed to be restrictive and I don't know but these cycles are really interesting and they're exciting to us but I think they mean sometimes you can find yourself in a position where you look at it and you go you kind of feel like the best days of this have, have been? Well, certainly Magic the Gathering never used to have such ferocious competition with all the other card games that you can collect and play now. It's true. I think the, the interesting thing with me is like I, I played a ton of it and the last game I played of it and I may turn around to it once I've like, it may be that as with Duelist, I didn't get you the game. You seem to be enjoying yourself with the very last game. Um, I was, uh, but again, I, that was an interesting game and that was a game that actually kind of made me realise, huh, uh, was I was playing a game with, with our friend Alex and... Um, it was more that I had had this carefully crafted deck that I thought I knew what I was doing with, and it just wasn't working. And I thought, what was I trying to do? Well, a bunch of stuff, because my cards are kind of junk, and so I was trying to do something clever because I couldn't see anything simple to do. What was your best card? Just give me something to a picture in my head. Well, this is a new deck, right? I just picked up another deck. I was like, screw it, I'll just put two colours together and see what happens. And it was green and black. And basically, it's I had a, a rhino. It's colour. It's a great colour. I had a rhino. And this rhino was just, like, doing great. Yeah. And it doing loads of damage. And it was like, oh man, this is already like working better than something I crafted. 
But then there was this weird thing and the game went on and on and I, I got him really low, but then his machine started to come together. And then I was in a position where I was like, oh, I can't do anything. But what was fascinating about it as a game, and this is why I felt, again, it's this old, uh, this, these two problems of asymmetry and bullshit combined with <laughs> a lack of opacity, a lack of transparency, Right. Uh, was the fact that I've noticed in Magic that it's very infrequently a kind of proper battle it's more like one person's machine whirs up better than the other person's and they just stomp them and you keep stomping or them. Or whirs up at a different time. My deck uh, that dominates the early game uh, gets weaker as the game goes on. Yeah, you take that's over. more like a race almost then. Well, you know, it can the, be a hare and a tortoise thing, I it think. Does, yeah. Playing against the person in our league who was better than the rest of us, it felt very different to me in terms of the way he would keep certain cards back. I do think it, it's it's a... And that's why I'm reticent because I'm like, it's like there's things about it that I think are fundamentally flawed because of the business model, which I think is just something that happens, can happen with games quite easily. Mm, But um, what I found interesting about the design was that when I was kind of stomping somebody else, I didn't take much pleasure in it because I didn't really know where they were at. Like, I didn't feel like I was out maneuvering someone because I didn't really know what was in their deck. I didn't know what was in their hand. And actually, I just felt a bit sorry when I was just like, oh, I'm kind of just hitting you again and again. There's nothing you could do. But then when I was just getting hit again and again, I wasn't enjoying that either. And I felt it was a lack of transparency. And again, it made me think of Bloodborne, the fact that you see someone do this and you you both appreciate what that role means. Where this is like... When you're like, there was in that game was interesting. I was ragging on Alex. I was just like, bam, bam, bam. It was one sided. It was horrible. I wasn't enjoying it. And then his machine suddenly sprung to life that he'd been clearly planning. And then he was ragging on me. But because I didn't know that he was at the point of a flip around, I took no pleasure in in any part of it. <laughs> um, yes. And I mean, maybe though that is just because I'm not familiar enough with the game and the current set and the meta to see what might be happening. But um, I don't one. Know thing I will say is that while I've been looking on this is like oh hey great it's it's cheap and it's a nice cheap way to get involved in magic if you're not going to spend much money on a asymmetric game of mage battles just buy summoner wars which is a super uh, this is the thing is I love the idea of it but like game. without that balance this idea of doing it every month it, it, doing it every couple of months it's basically you really are buying into a meta where like you might just be the guy who just gets crap cards we're and, working hard to make it work and I'm still I'm still like fascinated <laughs> by it and I'm still working hard to to just as a puzzle for me, I'm not bad at games. I want to see if I can make something with what I've got. And you that's an interesting go challenge. go home and stay up late making decks after last I know, I, time I, I joked, I joked. Well, I didn't actually. Oh, that's uh, disappointing. Okay. That was a joke. No, I was exhausted from trying my best to win and failing. But um, I'll tell you, I've, one thing I've taken away from all this old stuff. Here we stuff, go, here we go. This is our closing thoughts to so make it good. Because this is something interesting, and I know this is something that will probably get brought up anyway. They'll say, um, this happens a lot. Who's we, they? We, they. Describe him the or people. Her. No, no, the people quite fairly in the comments will say, hey, look, you've ragged on this for this, you've ragged on this for this, you've ragged on this for this. But one game that you always say you love does all of this stuff and you don't mind it. And that game often, which I find, one? Which one? is Cosmic Encounter, which is a game. Oh, of- no, 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 you did not say that. That is not Oh, true. my God. <laughs> no, people do. No, but I mean, Cosmic Encounter is different fundamentally because it's a game of negotiation. Oh, no, 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 no. But that's what I mean. It's like, it, not, not specifically to magic here. I'm talking about wider in terms of like, this, this, yes, Cosmic this Encounter. Trying to enjoy something that is bullshit. Yes, absolutely. So Cosmic Encounter being the uh, titular game that we hold up that is just as brilliant, but is also just absolute random nonsense. It is. And this is the thing is when we get angry about games that are random nonsense, people always quite fairly go, yeah, but, but you love that one. And I think I've worked it out. And I think actually this is what's been interesting about playing all these old games that are kind of 
uh, bad um, is that it's made me really appreciate stuff that, that works better. And I think what's what's fascinating about Cosmic and one of the reasons it really works, despite the fact that it's just like absolutely has bullshit written through the middle of it like a stick of rock, is A, you've got a shared deck, so you've got that like that lack of like there's no transparency there like you're not all hiding well it's stuff. a mix of stuff that you don't know and stuff that you definitely do exactly but like the base cards they are the cards yeah. and you know they're out there somewhere or they're coming however there is the random stuff which can be thrown in there which can make it feel really bullshitty but the, the multiple things here first of all you've got shared outrage as well the fact that when people are being bullshitty it's not just you fuming yes. Yes. you've got other people all fuming yeah. and that's why it becomes a political game of being like screw this person they're going yes. down and it's balanced by the players and finally the important thing is like yes there are things that happen that are total total bullshit but you have the power in the game not only to stop bullshit because yes. you think I'm done with that yeah. this is stopping but also to like make someone else's bullshit yours temporarily and be like, I want that. I'm like that thing you're doing. I'm gonna have that. Like, yes. No. It's it gives you the tools you need to. Um... And what I love is sometimes, sometimes in that game, that's the game. You decide you're not gonna try and win. You just decide that you're gonna stop that bullshit. I think that's why I love dynamic. that. Game. Because I feel like when I play some of these other games, I feel like I'm swimming in a pool of it and I can't escape it. Whereas sometimes you think, my hill that I die on in this game is stopping you. Paul is right. Oh, it's a, no, it's a culture, isn't it? It's, it's a society that you live in. And especially the thing I'm envious of is that you used to play Cosmic with the same people over and over again. And then it's you're not just playing for this galaxy. You're playing for the next galaxy. I think so. You you're know, stating so. that... Your betraying of me, like the thing when I play Cosmic, if some, if you, I invite someone to attack and they send one ship, I always call them out and will until the yeah, day no, I die. you're like screw you. What is this? Yeah. Like, but there's no rule for sending them home. But it's just like that's my policing of Cosmic Encounter. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's been fascinating, and I'm not, I've not given up on Magic. It is, it is weird, and it's, it's actually like it really annoyed me at one point when someone was like, "Hey, you're saying this game might be bad just because you're doing badly at it." It's like, well, no, but. I think the same thing has happened with you and Blood Bowl, where it's like, if you are consistently is- doing badly, then you do notice the cracks a yeah. lot more quickly yeah. uh, as a critic. Like, that's yeah. the difference, is that if something is buttering you up, buttering you up then you don't notice. Well, the classic, uh, I shouldn't even say this because I'm sure board game publishers will be listening to this, but the classic thing that video game um, publishers and PRs do is if you go to a preview event... Um, you play the game uh, and you'll have developers in the game that you're playing against but they'll be playing badly or like you play a single yeah. player level and the PR goes wow you completed the level that's, that's no crazy no one's ever done that, that so, board, so board game publishers need to demo games and be like I've never seen that move before that's spectacular your <laughs> yeah. legs are so muscle muscle I've muscle. invented a word just for you <laughs> so muscle it's Paul. really interesting to hear you talk about that all of that in that way because sorry imagine, we just like, ranted at you for about 40 minutes Paul it, well, it's not just that it's one of the, like, it's not the oldest game. It's been around for quite a while, but it's more like the oldest in terms of, like, how many people have played it so much. Well, my uh, friend who I trust, a good friend, Andy Nealon, who lectures on game design at uh, New York University, um, but was got into Magic at about the same time that I was playing a lot of Netrunner. And I think I was saying, like, why? But, you know if you do look at the legacy format of Magic, like while we were interested in Sealed for being an appealing, small, cheap game, 
the legacy format of Magic is one of the most arcane, weird, complicated. It's like the Dota or the League of Legends of the board game world. Like, you want a game that's going to absorb your whole life? And he was just saying he liked it because he would watch stock markets of cards go up and down when tournaments were It's compulsive. I mean, you you have that element of the fact that you might get a card that's worth lots of real money. And also, like, it's with anything. You feel committed. If you buy lots of these cards, you feel like you're committed. If people remember our... uh, uh, the sociology professor from my Istanbul review, uh, Baki uh, Kaksiki. Um, you might be listening. Yeah. Oh, hi, Baki. <laughs> you used to play a lot of Magic, um, but... You invited he, him to play, and he was like... No way. Yeah, he used to play a lot, and his main thing now is, like, it's the most unethical business model because you are essentially involving kids in the idea of, like, gambling and pay-to-win and... It's funny, and, I mean, But just the adrenaline rush of opening a pack and maybe getting a load of money in a rare card. It's the, it's the weird thing, and the final thing I'd say about it is it's, like, one of the main thing that I really feel like I miss from Magic when compared to the, the you know, deck-builder game I play the most, which is Duelist, is the ability to just replace a card and be like, can I just take one of these cards in my hand and draw another one and you know what like without that flexibility in game yeah magic is a game that is so dependent on you building a deck which has synergy as a machine and if you haven't done that if your deck is not built right you just fall flat and that's it like whereas more well, no, the game things, is in the deck building and the game is in the sideboarding and sideboarding yeah. is i think a really interesting concept that i would yeah. like to play around with more. it's true but it's this it's it's that that feeling of like you can't have a slightly shonky deck that you can work with on the fly by being smart. Yes. There's not a lot of room. Oh, for yeah. Maneuvering. No, and yeah. Same, yeah. same thing we talked about on the last podcast. Good games are all about adapting. And Mike. honestly, if, if we'd been playing and I could have just had more cards, I could have just bought more cards. You could have bought more cards. Then Matt, I would have done it. Let's solve this. Let's buy more cards. No, no. Let's buy more See, cards. This is it. Like, no. <laughs> So our folk game of the month this month comes from, and I really hope I'm going to say this game correctly, uh, this name correctly, Odrin. I think Odrin O'Sullivan. Hi, Odrin. Like, thank you very much for writing in. To contact ex- at shutupandsitdown.com. Thank, thank you for these interesting things that you have sent us. I will do my best to read this out and remain composed. Big fan of your site, find your enthusiasm, enthusiasm for the hobby infectious. Thank you. Listen to the podcast. Enjoy the folk game section. You seem fed up of hearing about variations on parlor games, right? So he goes ahead and says, Wild populations of capuchin monkeys, is that right, in Costa Rica have been observed... I believe it's cappuccino, Paul. ...have been observed by scientists interested in social learning. They have described a number of traditions observed in the monkey populations and have classified a particular set of behaviours... These include the finger-in-mouth game, the hair-in-mouth game, and the toy game. These are basically folk games. It's a triple bill, guys. It's a triple bill. So, folk games in other species, more than that, these are folk games which are not even universal through all the monkeys. This is certain areas of monkeys that pass these individual games down yes i I would just like to point out this uh, this juncture like play is a thing that is demonstrated by lots of mammals yes that's Uh, that's a thing and if if you're a person out there if you hear people saying like oh i don't play games or i'm an adult just you know just screw that like animals play it's normal it's fine eu regulations hey who wants a fact that it's quentin's vegetarian fact uh eu regulations state that pigs need toys to play with Wow. It's a weird human thing that we decide as adults that it's now correct to stop playing. Doesn't make any sense. So, Paul. So, you're you're listening to the right podcast. Carry on, Paul. What's finger in... 
What is cappuccino finger monkeys doing? Let me tell you. Let me tell you both. Um, This variant involves insertion of a finger into the partner's mouth. What a surprise. Either partner can be responsible for insertion of the finger, he says. Good to know that. Sometimes the game starts in the context of grooming of the mouth or a dental exam. The biter usually fights down, bites down firmly enough that it is quite difficult to remove the finger, but not hard enough to draw blood. Sometimes... I play that with my this, wife. <laughs> this game I mean, got, like, it's I, more that she oh, just bites my hand, but... Yeah. Uh, Matthew, please. Wait, does that mean your, it's why not is your hand thing. in her mouth? Matthew. It's not a sex Both thing. of Carry you, on. sit down. Sorry. Sit down. Sorry, I'm sitting... Sometimes this game is combined with elements of the finger-sucking behaviour described elsewhere. <laughs> this variant is observed only at Lomas Barbudal, which I guess is a place. The photo sequence alongside this page, he provides a link, show, shows Great. Guapo, I guess that's one of the monkeys, biting the finger of a juvenile companion who is trying to retrieve his finger. What? What? See, this is what I find so amazing. It's like these games aren't just one monkey entertaining themselves. Uh, these are. Tr- I, I read this whole email and was and got really hype. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's two monkeys being complicit in the same action. So it's like if I'm if the game is just I'm a monkey and I'm going to stick my fingers in other people's mouths. That's one thing. But it's like I put my finger in your mouth and then your role within the game is to not let me have my finger back. So you bite, but not hard enough to draw blood. So it's like I initiate the game and you also partake. But but uh, this would be one thing if like all monkeys did this. Or it's just one monkey. But it's just this one area where the monkeys do this, and it's passed from father to son, or daughter to mon- monkey, whatever. <laughs> Are you, do you, isn't this awesome? Isn't this it's some, like a weird family tradition? Yeah. Yes. Isn't this great? Anyway, finger in mouth game. I mean, it's Is not that best, it's, What do we think of it as a game? Well, I mean. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it as a game, but yeah, as I say, like I do play that sometimes. I will if someone's yawning. Exactly, that's how it starts. Stick a finger in someone's mouth. No, it's fine. No, because it really annoys them. Yeah, exactly. It cancels the yawn. This is what I like an interrupt. This is what I do with my wife. Like it's like she sometimes yawns or opens her mouth in a stupid like uh, way or whatever, and is just like basically trying to annoy me by looking gormless. And then I'll try and put my finger in her mouth to annoy her. Nice. And then she'll bite it, but again, won't bite it hard enough to like hurt me, but will make it so I want to pull it out, but I can't. And and yeah, I'm sure I've done that to her as well. But yeah, it's. I mean, I wouldn't really call it a game. I wouldn't review it. Like, but I guess it is a game. It's um, just being playful. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's great. It, uh, it's Paul, interesting that, like... I really wish I hadn't brought my wife into it. this. Um, uh, yeah, other do you want to hear about Heron Mouth game? Heron Mouth, I think. Put this out there. It's a better, it's a better game. <laughs> okay. In this variant, one individual bites a large tuft of hair from the face or shoulders of the partner. Remember, these are monkeys. The partner may flinch but does not exhibit much pain. The partner then typically tries to pry open the mouth to retrieve the hair. Classic. The hair is the hair is passed with gentle force from mouth to mouth until most of it has fallen to the ground. Then what? one of the monkeys bites another tuft of hair from the partner so they can continue. <laughs> so when you pass the observed. hair from mouth to mouth... Wait, where is it observed, Paul? Lomas Barbadul, which is the same as the other one, which I guess is where it's all happening in the monkey scene. So, Matthew, let me explain. I bite a load of hair from your face. Right, Or yeah. shoulders. I've got quite a lot at the moment. And I've, got some, out. I've got some on my shoulders that you can have. You're welcome to oh, it. I don't want it. Fine. It's in your mouth because you've bitten the hair off my sure. shoulders. No. Uh, then I try and retrieve it from your mouth with my hand or my mouth. 
But then we part we pass the hair back and forth between our mouths. <laughs> so here's the thing. Paul and I covered this this game, but it was um uh what was it? It was like passing some object between mouths. It was a, an actual folk game that we covered that humans play. And like you sit in a circle and you kinda wanna kiss, but you're too young or you're too shy. Oh, yeah. So you pass I think it was like a an object, a big coin or something. But um, I got a follow-up email from some Australians saying, oh yeah, we used to do that, but you can make it more sexy the smaller the coin you use. And yeah. so just imagine the or smallest coin in your part of the coin. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's that's the sitcom moment of like, oh, I'm doing it, I'm going to pass the coin to this girl I fancy. I like, <laughs> yeah. But hair on mouth is that game. I mean, I don't play with that. I don't play that with my wife. So. But it keep. But the thing I find cute about this is it, it, the fact that it, it keeps going until the hair's and gone. And you can put your shirt back on. I'm not going to bite your Come on, just hair it, right here, right nope. here. Just take it off. You're never going to get it out of my teeth with your mouth once I've done it. It's just, it's, there's no point playing. I've already won. The right? toy game. Okay. Just Wait, Paul, on. what do you think of hair and mouth game? Don't Two you think things. this is great? Two things. One, I don't, I've never been keen on monkeys or any of, any of that, like orangutans. You don't have to play it with a monkey. They're playing primates. it, but you can play it on your own. I feel like anyone who's not, like, you, you don't have to be into monkeys, but anyone who doesn't find them fascinating is... I don't mm. like the idea of putting hair in my mouth. It's not a pleasant thing to have in your mouth. No, it's, like, it's not. It's kind of so weird. That, well, yeah, but... That's yeah. one thing. Monkeys are a bit weird to me. Maybe they're in the Uncanny Valley. I you don't, don't have know. to play that's these it, games the Uncanny with Valley. If you don't find them, like, they've got to be fascinating to you. You can like them or not like them, but if monkeys aren't fascinating, that is just a degree of I, disinterest I in the human condition. No, there's a lot of, like, groups of animals that I like more, like... Dogs, bears, birds, sharks, even though they're terrifying, whales. I Monkeys go way down the league table for me. Uh, okay, so sure. what's the toy game? Well, well, we toys. The toy game. In this variant, an inanimate object, a stick, green, flu- green fruit, leaf, piece of bark, whatever, is passed from mouth to mouth <laughs> in the same manner <laughs> in which the hair or finger transferred in the other games. No one consumes the toy at the end. This is the one game that is seen in multiple sites. So Lomas Barbadool, obviously, because that's the core of the monkey game scene. But also, <laughs> I think, Kuru, it's the S of monkeys. So it's almost this, like this This is a traditional monkey game, and then the hair game and the finger game are just variants. They've invented variants, yeah. When you can't be bothered finding a toy. Also, like, the, the toy isn't <laughs> eaten afterwards. Do they recycle it? What do they do with it? Just bin it? Keep it in the well, collection. Do unboxing uh, videos. It's, it's, not, it's not clear. <laughs> they just... They just, tra- they. I guess you just do it until until you're you're bored. Uh, There's a market here. Orangutan, watch it played. Like it's just like, you know, <laughs> like. He, he, I mean, he's provided a link, and he does say like there's pictures you can look at and footage you can watch of. Oh, okay. Doing we'll put that things. link on shutupandsitdown.com. We, uh, I, what podcast is this? Fifty three. Mm, yeah. So yeah, if you look for podcast fifty three's description, I'll be sure to put the uh, thing in there. Some footage of monkeys playing with toys. The guy did link to footage. So the thing is, he also says, and this is interesting. And you know, we talk about games as learning and get, and you know, games as a way of like kids uh, improving their narrative skills and things. He says here by playing games, these monkeys may be practicing cooperative behaviors that can be helpful in defense against predators or Mm. cooperative hunting and that's the thing with mammals again is mammals are often animals that teach one another or cooperate in certain ways so that's interesting well players that's what play is about it's about experimenting socially and learning to do things which of the board games that we have reviewed do you think teaches the most about living a good life a good successful life 
Ooh. I think that's an incredibly complicated question. Oh, comment. absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I don't have to answer it. I asked you guys, so... I think I'd even say the opposite, actually. And I think sometimes it's Which the game... Which game teaches you the least. No, I think sometimes it's the games that socially allow you to behave um, uh, unethically and badly and huh. and involve trickery and deceit you know, man, that can be a release. I think there's a good argument for something like City of Horror. Like, which be I, my eyes went to it on the shelf there, and like City of Horror being the zombie game, which is just about negotiation, and it's just people being awful. But like, I feel exactly. that City of Horror teaches you, if you're playing it with people who are competitive, the difference between how people act when they have something to gain, the way people break promises when they have something to gain. But in a way, City of Horror is a better simulation than like Game of Thrones where everyone's trying to win. Why? Because they are. City of Horror is a game where everyone has limited resources. They're really up against it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. City of Horror is a game that shows you people act awfully when, they are, when they're when in trouble. When it's you or them, basically. Yes. And I mean, but I think that's fine and great. And I think that if more adults embraced play, then maybe the world would be a better place. Because yes, the feeling of tricking someone, screwing some over, and then feeling powerful as you because you've cheated them and you've won is a great fun thing to do in the context of play. And if you do that, then maybe... You'd... Oh, you think you, you have less know. to prove? No, I just think that, like, you know, there are people in the world who get off uh, on on beating people and being better than people and, 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 and tricking I don't know, people. man. I feel like the people I know who are super competitive and need to win games, like the athletes and tournament winners that I've met, also, like, the game doesn't take any of that desire. If anything, those people are more like desirous of proving themselves outside the game yeah maybe well. maybe hmm. well what do you think about hmm. games that do or don't teach you things that we've it's reviewed? funny that you say that because i was and it's funny you say city of horror because i immediately my mind went to social games and games about bluffing and deception and i was thinking really simple things like the resistance avalon or coup or things like that where we're just trying to uh tease one another or misdirect people yeah, and I wasn't know, thinking about like cooperative tasks or things like that. There's got to be an example of that, but I can't think of any. You know, well, Space Alert teaches, I think, a lot of. Space Alert is the most demanding Actually, yeah. co-op game in I've terms of like delegating. And... I would love to put Space Alert in front of Matt because I don't think you've played that one. Oh no, we played Space Cadets. Ah, Space Cadets also requires a lot of teamwork, but mostly it's making fun of each other. Uh, the Resistance, I think, has some really interesting lessons in terms of. Um, how deception and how teams work. Like, I still remember um, an awful thing. I, I consider myself quite good at the resistance, not as good as Matt, fine. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe Paul. But uh, I played a game of the resistance with like nine players and um, we lost. We lost because of a decision I made. And I made that decision because the spies were the players on my immediate left and right. Yeah. And it's just... Simple but, proximity. But how, inter- how interesting is that? That yeah. like, The fact that I was conspiring with these people who were close to me without realising that that was hampering my decision-making. And you have to look at both Hmm. sides of the coin with this. And the fact that, yes, it's a game where you can experiment and play with being evil. And, you know, I love doing that. It's great fun. We talk about the resistance. Yeah. Games like the resistance, games with, you know, hidden roles. Yes, it's it's a fun uh, way to be dastardly. But at the same time, uh, you do develop skills within that which are useful in terms of being like, you're in a situation where you know somebody is lying. And you have to compellingly convince the rest of the table without getting angry or without mm. making yourself appear to be 
like compromised but, or but that irrational. skill you're discussing is dark because that's exactly the same skill you use if you are a spy well I know of course but again it you know it comes down to like just basically calm communication and not letting yourself lose it because especially like werewolf I've had lots of fun times with and the times I've I've done badly in werewolf is when you lose it I had a point where I was playing werewolf um, with one of the guys I record uh, a comedy podcast with and um, I was the the fortune teller and and then in the first round, the first night, he just comes out and says, well, actually, I'm the fortune teller, and right. I know this. And I was so taken aback by, the, like, just the... It's the first the time of front of it. That, everyone has that first experience playing a game of a werewolf, where the game starts, and immediately a werewolf goes, I'm the sage, and the, and yeah. if you are the sage in that case, you are so stunned. Exactly. And I was stunned enough that I just thought, what? And then, but then obviously you react with like saying nothing, but being a bit stunned, expecting you have to say something somebody, because usually in this circumstance, when somebody just flagrantly lies, you have at least somebody else who goes, hey, but you're the only person who knows. And the interesting thing that happened there was I did not just say, uh, 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 no, you're not straight away. I was stunned enough that then I left it for a beat or two. And then when I said, no, 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 um, I was so flustered by it. And so immediately irrationally angry that people didn't believe me because I was telling the truth that my defence looked stupid. <laughs> and that, that's ah, the thing, you know? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. What are you thinking, Paul? I had, it's funny you say that, I had a game, I still remember this, like years later, I think it was a game of uh, Werewolf, like One Night Werewolf about three years ago, where uh, I was one of the good guys and I, I'm pretty sure I was the seer because I looked at somebody else's piece, I was like, right, they are on my team, I know who they are, I know what role they are. And the game started and that player actually claimed to be me because they had some other piece of information about someone else. And so I knew, A, that they were lying and B, that they were on my team. So they had some kind of scheme to uncover someone else. And I ended up in this position where I had to sort of almost play (laughs) possum, where I was like feeding them the right questions. Like, why do you think that? Because I know that they're on my team. I know that they have the right intention, but I don't know the information that they have. So I was trying to get that out of them and to immediately, you know, draw this very close to the end of the game and be like, we're doing this, we're doing this because this person's telling the truth. I know because I've been the seer all along and I can confirm, you know, I had like this key part of the puzzle and I, I've not had to do that in that many games and that deliberately having to be quiet and shut up and take the back seat, it's... It reminded me a little bit of something someone published last year about being the prime minister or being the president and the amount of security knowledge that you have in your job and how you go into press conferences and people say things (laughs) to you like, you should do this because of this. And then you have to carefully explain a thing without saying like, that's completely wrong or that's not a problem or there is a way bigger thing that we're dealing with. Or Yeah, it must be constantly people think, oh, you don't know what you're doing, but you're like... You, just, I have you must have times where you just want to grab people and scream, like, you have no idea what I know. Yeah. Like, it, <laughs> which must be a thing. Like, it was like 1% of being the president or something. Me at that moment with this sort of, no, the right thing to do right now is shut up and say nothing and feed someone all the help that they need. Yeah, it's a complicated thing, isn't it? It's, when I think about... Uh, not to get too off topic, when I think about politicians these days, um, I do a lot of thinking, well, who am I to judge them because they are working with so much more information about the particular puzzle, uh, about the the problem, the, the problems that they are facing than I have. But then also not judging these people at all leads to, or assuming that their best interests are at heart, has been proven by history to be 
be wrong and often. destructive. Yes. And also frequently they are negligent and incompetent. Yes, which is but also that, it's, yeah. it's, it's similarly dangerous to assume simplicity of the... Well, maybe not similarly dangerous, but potentially dangerous as well. And it feels ignorant to me to assume that you know better than someone who is doing this for a living, but that's also sometimes is, sometimes is the case. I think it's more, it's just there's a tendency sometimes for there to be things that don't make sense no matter what lens you view them through. And yeah. it may be that there's information you don't have access to, which which is the, the thing that matters. Yes. Um, but often the things do make sense because you think, oh, why are they doing that? And it's like, oh, because they're personally greedy. And you go, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, just to round off this discussion, of course, the thing we haven't mentioned before is, or yet rather, is role-playing games in terms of games that teach you, games that uh, enable you to be somewhere. I think on a basic level, like winning and losing, learning to win gracefully, lose gracefully, yeah. and just enjoy the fun of, of the experience of, of life and not getting too fixated on the, the scores is a vital thing. I think... This is like being competitive. I do think people... I've not known anyone who is bad at winning games or bad at losing games who has played enough games that, the, that they become better at that. I feel like... This maybe not, no. I think this might just be something you're born with. I know people who... Well, maybe know, not born. I might also be learn. married to someone yeah. who particularly struggles to... I think it's something you maybe learn at a younger age and it's hard to break. I don't, I'm never a believer in, in anyone's born with, with any characteristics like that. Right. I, I don't yeah. think... Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But I think I think that fundamentally, I think that a lot of these games are just just giving people a chance to navigate complex situations, whether it's negotiations or treachery or whatever. Like a lot of the time in life, we often feel like you feel like you should do something, you feel like you should intervene with something, but you feel like you're not equipped to do it because these are complicated things. I think having this environment where you can explore things and then afterwards sit around and talk about it and go, yeah. oh, wow, yeah, the way you did that, I wasn't convinced by you then. And <laughs> it's like getting feedback yes. on yourself as a person. Yes in the way that you never get in life so that you, is a very good point do you have any clo- do you have any thoughts to close us out Paul this has been a long podcast so who cares if it's another minute right <laughs> uh, I thought Matt's conclusion was really good and the other thing I would just add to that if, if we're going to really briefly dip into role playing games is we, we've had this I think from everything from D&D to when we played um, uh, the colonial game what's it called Colonial. Oh, uh, doggy dog. Doggy I was thinking dog. doggy dog. Yeah. I was when thinking you about... take on another role, and when you role play, and when you become invested in that role, I think it actually does start to you see things from other people's points of view. And like having played D and D as like I, I'm going to play a religious character in D and I'm not a religious person in real life, but oh my goodness, when it's like these are my values, these are the things that I care about. Here's why, and then you start thinking in that mindset, and you. I think you gain empathy that way. I think that's well, it's like the prison experiment. I guess going back to simple, you know, psychology yeah. experiments. Of, of you, you put so. people in a costume, you put people in a role, and they they shift into it very rapidly. I saw an amazing talk by two people who were um, spearheading the Nordic LARP uh, scene. So Nordic live action role play being um, yeah. based on emotions and personalities than like rules and systems. Uh, but they were talking about they did uh, one amazing sounding game. Uh, where, oh my god, I, I forgot. I completely forgot that this was something for the last two years. I've shut up and sit down. I've been trying to send people to do Nordic Lark and cover it for us, and I've never. Oh, 2016 or 17 <laughs> or 18. God, I forgot what year it is. We'll do that. But anyway, they were talking about one game, which was just everyone was related. Everyone's a family member, and they all come up. Your game is set in a mansion house. You all arrive at a real life mansion house, and as soon as you arrive, you're in character. Uh, so you're all this big extended family. And I believe the uh, the game was just one character makes an announcement that they did something awful and that's your game for a weekend. So you're just in character for a weekend that after 
and I'm pulling this out of my hat, like an uncle declared that he, uh, uh, I don't know, um, had an affair with someone he's related to. And then just the ripple effect, like what that does to everyone he's directly related to and everyone they're directly related to and the sides that are formed. And just a weekend of being in a messed up family. Anyway, so the person wow. giving the talk describes um, that his character in that particular scene was um, a homophobe. And uh, he spends a weekend robbing a homophobe, whatever. Some characters in the LARP are gay, fine. But the moment he described it is essentially what is called bleed, where a character that you inhabit bleeds into your actual personality. And he describes that a week later, he saw a gay couple kissing in a supermarket and felt immediate uh, revulsion, um, having not been homophobic his entire life. And then it's like, well, did the character uncover something about me that I didn't know was there? I once screamed at someone at a party. Um involuntary almost and it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life just because I'd been doing a play and I'd been rehearsing that play so much and my character was such a nasty character that I was just at a party I'd had a few drinks and this girl I was talking to said something really similar to one of the lines um, from the play and I just flipped into the character really briefly and just screamed at her like for a second and said something back and then I was like immediately it was like immediately mentally grabbing myself on the shoulder and going what the what the (laughs) that is amazing and she was scared and it was a horrible moment it was one of those moments where I had to just really apologise but I scared a stranger and it was just because I'd been inhabiting a role too much and it wasn't it wouldn't have gone further than that but yeah if we've got any actors listening who do this a lot whether that has affected any element of their lives or personalities I hope so. Otherwise, or perspectives. I've got a problem. But no, I mean, that was, it was a one-time thing. And it just I thought you were saying, I hope so. Otherwise, I'll never get my acting career off the ground <laughs> if we don't have actors listening <laughs> no, no, to this podcast. Was, it, was, it was really unpleasant, but it was, I mean, that was an extreme example of it. But it is weird how you can inhabit a role and they can bleed into you. But then there's also these perspectives as well that you carry them with you. And I, I think to, to go from an unfortunately nasty note of something I did, which was bad, to a, a really wonderful note, I always think... Is okay, the, good. Let's end the podcast on this. It's the effect of, of the fact that one of the interesting perspectives that stays with people forever is going to space. And I find that amazing. But it's just <laughs> just yeah. this, this weird thing yeah, that completely. everybody who goes to space says the same thing. They just they see the Earth. From space, this is a true thing. Yeah, no, I know, I agree. And they like that. They they just have this change that just is forever the same. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, People on shut up, sit down, fans. The world over, we've gone from monkeys to evolution to as people to space (laughs) in one arc. Wow. This has been the. I only ever shouted at a stranger once. I've never done it since. Honestly, please don't. Please don't call the police. I want to go to space one day. Uh, Paul, what do you want to do? Um. This has been the 53rd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Quentin Smith. I want to go to space. Paul's not sure. I'm not sure. I've been Paul, though. I'm sure about that. Bye. Uh, Goodbye. And if you're an actor who has experienced uh, Bleed or Or a role player who's experienced Bleed or someone who's been to space, email contact at shutupandsitdown.com.